Welcome to the Grow Fast Podcast, where we talk to leading sales, marketing, and biz dev professionals about how to accelerate sales, optimize marketing, and grow your business fast. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Grow Fast Podcast. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of the Grow Fast Podcast. The Grow Fast Podcast is brought to you by MemoQ RFP, the easiest, fastest, and lowest cost way to process RFPs, RFIs, security questionnaires, and other important business documents. Today, we're going to be talking to Robin Ayub, who is the VP and GM of Lionbridge Canada. He's also the president of the Canadian Language Industry Association. Robin is not only a great salesperson, he's a great sales leader, and he's one of the few people that I know that thinks very deeply about all aspects of selling. Today, we're going to be talking to Robin about the importance of a sales process, what it is, how it applies, etc., But before we do that, let's say hi to Robin. Robin, how are you today? Good. How are you, Mark? Good to see you again. Hopefully it's not too early for you where you are. (laughs) No, it's it's 8 a.m. and we're at like a cabin Airbnb. It's about 100 years old up on Orcas Island in the San Juan Islands. My family's all asleep when, you know, sugar plums dancing in their head and (laughs) and I'm doing a podcast. What else? (laughs) Did you guys guys have a good Christmas? Oh, oh yeah. You know, like my kids are, are, are all grown right now. And so... It's it's not necessarily about the presents and everything like that. Even though we do exchange a, a, a few small gifts, it's just really about being together. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the holidays are the same for you. Just, mm. just being together with, you know, with your family and friends, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good to see you again. Likewise. Well, hey, um, thank you. Um, we've been on each other's podcasts, different podcasts and so on. And uh, it's funny because we haven't run out of topics to talk about. You know? <laughs> that's you know, something, you, Mark. That's right. something. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. And um, I, as I said in the intro, uh, you know, I, I, I respect your sales uh, leadership, your personal yeah. ability, but also the fact that you think about this because a lot of people, they, they just think the salespeople just go out and grab business and bring it back. And, and, and we all know mm. that um, it's not mm-hmm. that simple. Because you're dealing with people, and people are complex, mm-hmm. organizations are complex. But we're going to talk about sales, comp- uh, excuse me, sales processes. And first mm-hmm. off, l- let me ask you, what's the what's the what is a sales process versus not having a process? What, what you know, what's the difference in your in your mind? So, not having a process that meaning um, that means to me shooting from the hip, throwing mud on the wall, and hoping what sticks, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And having a sales process, at least some sort of a process in your mind before you approach your target audience, whoever they are, it makes the job a lot easier for a salesperson and it allows you to move uh, the sales um, the sales process one step at a time forward. Uh, and in a way that it's uh, methodical, um, you know, uh, and you can, because of the sales process that you are going to employ, uh, you are going to have some predictable results of course, mm-hmm. nothing is guaranteed and, and, you know, you're selling, you're selling, but at least you have some predictable results. You increase your chances of a positive outcome, in my opinion, if you have a sales process in place. Now, the sales process that you can employ, it will vary from what is the opportunity you're chasing? Who are the audience you're going after? Is it a single threaded opportunity, meaning a single decision maker, multiple decision makers, influencers? Who are these individuals that could impact your sales process on the journey of closing the sale, right? So the journey to close the sale, it is a journey. Mm-hmm. Of course, in our localization industry, in the day-to-day that we're living now in the industry where we are, everybody wants to get to that, you know, quick customer, quickly close it, move on to the next one. 
And, um, and this is, in my opinion, my humble opinion, and I don't know everything, obviously, and I would not pretend to know everything. Uh, it comes from, you know, having been in the industry for 20 years, it comes from the misconception of the industry around what constitutes a sale. It is not build it and they come, not because you know how to tr do a translation, customers going to flock to you. They won't mm -hmm. unless you tell them who you are and present to them a valid case of why they should choose to do business with you. And we'll go through the sales process while you do that. They're not going to choose you. Of course, there's millions of translation companies, translation individuals out there that perform the job. There ought to be a way for you to come into your customers and present a business case why they should choose you. So, I mean, you, you said several important things right there. And one of them is having a process kind of, um, <clears throat> it alleviates some of the anxiety or the guesswork that comes with selling. Because, I, you know, we know that sales can be a very difficult and very challenging from uh, both from actually achieving your results, but also the mental aspect of, oh, God, you know, they, what, what are they going to say? What's the next step? What should I do? And there's all this guesswork, right? And, mm -hmm. and what if they say no? And, and, and it can be, it can be, if you allow it, it can be very demotivating or um, kind of depressing, you know, if you get um, uh, declined or, you know, people turn down on several opportunities. But if you have a process, it, it helps you work through that. It mm -hmm. takes out the guesswork, as you said. The other thing you said is um, that depending on who you're selling to and what that organization looks like, you may use different processes, okay? Um, and I also like the fact that you don't just go in there and say, hey, sign right now. You've got to do your work first, right? You've got to build sure. that business case. I would say you also have to develop trust because you know if you're selling translation or any other service, they're not going to buy from you unless they trust. But let me ask you then, um, <clears throat> and I, I want to drill down on, on all those areas. Um, there are so many different processes out there. There's you know, the Sandler Snap, um, Challenger Sales. I think that you know that you've said before that you tend to prefer Miller Hyman. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of describe what that is and how how it mm -hmm. applies to those those different things that you talked about in terms of taking the guesswork out um, and then engaging with the uh, your customer in a meaningful way? That's right. So. Um, I'm just going to, in order for me to apply the process for this particular discussion, I guess what I'm, I'm going to try to do here is I'm going to try to envision a complex opportunity that we're chasing. Awesome. And in a complex opportunity environment where you have multiple influencers, multiple decision makers. So let's go through some of those decision makers and who, are, who, who they are, who could possibly down the road could impact or derail or help you uh, close the sale. So there's two things in an influence can do, can either derail your opportunity or can help you close it. So, um, so let's talk about the uh, financial decision makers. So the financial mm -hmm. decision makers could be a, uh, a, a CFO, could be a procurement manager, uh, anybody who has a hold of a check that they're going to be paying <laughs> at the end of the day, that's the final decision maker on the financial side. So once we've satisfied and identified who are the financial decision makers related to this particular opportunity or could impact this opportunity, I got to move on to the next decision maker. And the next decision maker could be a technical buying decision maker. And that technical buying decision maker could be the, um, could be the uh, on the IT side, on the information technology side, or could be the technical aspect of delivering the service. And the technical mm -hmm. aspects of delivering the service could involve multiple multiple facets. And this is where it gets really interesting because, again, 
this is not a just not a quick journey to closing the sale. So as I go through these individuals and identify these individuals, each one of those individuals needs to be talked to, develop a trust with, bring them to your side, and it's going to take some networking to get there. So if I'm talking technical, that means I'm going to have to satisfy the person who's going to be using the service directly using the service. That could be somebody who is translating on a day-to-day basis. The other technical buying decision could be the actual IT infrastructure. Does your software or does your tools, does your services fit within the technical environment of that particular customer that you're going to go after? And the third technical buying decision could be a um, a, a security buying decision. Now is every everything aspect of it. Like it's got, it's got to do with a lot of IT security discussion. Does that fit that environment that you're going to be selling to? And how do you prove that this is a fit for them. And once we've satisfied the technical buying decision, now we got to get into the legal buying decision. So the legal buying decision is also very important. Am I talking to, uh, does my, uh, you know, when I'm talking about my contract or I'm talking about my, the T's and C's that I want versus the T's and C's that the customer want, who do I talk to? Who do I satisfy? Who do I need to work with either on my side as, a, as an organization who I'm selling uh, their product, or on the customer side, who is the individual who is uh, more likely to take a look at our T's and C's and say, okay, guys, you either come down to a little bit or we go up a little bit and we come to a compromise somewhere, but that needs to be absolutely satisfied. Now, this is the most important. The fourth one is the very most important because we sell in a diversified way. There's not a single decision maker that can say, I'm going to accept this particular translation vendor or not. This is goes now, we call it the user buying decision. And that's where, and the user influence is very, it's like, it's like running a political campaign and you're trying to get the votes. So yep. if you have a hundred users in a company and hundred users, some of them are currently, let's say they're using some other, some other vendor and you're trying to displace a vendor. So some of them are happy with the current vendor. Some of them are not happy with the current vendor. And it becomes a, um, a, uh, a, a vote of confidence, if you will. But you need to figure out who are these users and not necessarily go after 100 users in this case, no. But you've got to go after some of those, what we call the fox. And the fox meaning that that individual that's going to guide you, maybe a user in this case, is going to say, well, I like you. I develop a trust with you. I like what you're offering. I like what you're saying. And now I'm going to walk you through the maze, the internal maze of how, who, and where you need to have a conversation to specifically go after some of those uh, opportunities and close them. Now, when we go after all these four types of uh, types of influencers, you cannot le- neglect any one of them. If you neglect one of them and one of them is not satisfied, you cannot play the role of saying, oh, I offered a good price. That means... You know, the technical buying decision has to be on board automatically. Why? Why? Because I offered a good price. Well, that's not how it works. Um, it, so, yeah, I mean, good price is a good price. That's it. It stops right there. So, so you, you, you got the buy-in possibly of the financial <clears throat> um, decision maker, but the technical guy goes, hey, you've got security issues with your platform or you don't handle the right file types or, or and or, or, right? Yeah. So all these influencers, and I call them at this point influencers, because they all collectively funnel together. Let's say, imagine them all in one boardroom at one point after you submitted your proposal and they're negotiating or they're talking about your proposal. 
and they all have to give pros and cons about what you're offering. If you don't do the pre-work before and they know they don't know you, they don't trust you, all they're going on is that RFP or proposal document that you submitted. They don't know you personally. And right. just imagine every one of those opportunity has like 10 proposals, maybe at least arriving to the decision makers. If there is no pre-work for that, if they don't know you beforehand, all they're evaluating is a piece of work, a piece of piece of paper, really, that they're not, they don't know you from Adam. And you try to just win based on either specific things, like either you lower your price or something else. I don't know. But building that human connection, people buy from people at the end of the day, right? With Absolutely. all these elements that I talked about. And if you do it beforehand, and it's not a quick win, this is where, you know, somebody hires a trans hires transition sales or localization salesperson, you know, expect them to do, you know, $2 million in a quarter. It's a complete <laughs> impossibility, to be honest with you. I don't know what dreamland they're in. Uh, and the other thing too, if, and it's not saying it's an impossibility, it's sales, it's a, it's a time factor, as you and I talked one time, right? Before, if you give me time, everything is possible. If we're running up against the clock and you're saying every quarter you need to submit some sort of an unrealistic number without building any relationship, without knowing who these people are, it's completely impossible, completely impossible. So what we're talking about here is focus on the Miller-Hyman opportunities where you need to follow or chase a complex uh, sales where it's accounted in millions of dollars. I don't know, to, people, to some people, maybe 100,000, I don't know, but high dollar value. And then you have to, as we were talking earlier, then you got to change your model a little bit and you go after the transactional model. And the transactional model goes after like the smaller pieces of work that you probably can continuously feed the machine. And if every salesperson out there envision their sales process or their sales funnel as a, you know, animals racing, and I'm using the word animals just to illustrate it, racing to the finish line, and you've got the big elephant, you've got the rabbits, you've got, you know, a bunch of other, and they're all traveling at various speeds to the finish line. And the finish line in this case is the close, close right. to win. And so the elephants normally, which is, are representing a lar large opportunities, they travel, they travel slow, but they continuously, you know, progressing toward the finish line. That is a, uh, something we need to manage. So you got to have to close a few small ones as you're continuously feeding the machine, feeding the, uh, the, 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 the employer who hired you, uh, their, the process, their operational team with a smaller pieces of business as you keep an eye on the larger piece of business that you're chasing and using that complex methods. So you're kind of getting into uh, like the macro process of how you manage your, your book of business, your portfolio or your career, right? But you can't just go after these big whales and because, it, you know, it's going to take a year or two maybe to close those big whales in the, in the short, shorter term, you need some of the smaller opportunities. You need to work those. And I would argue there's a couple of reasons you need to work those. One is you need to plant as many seeds as possible because you never know which ones are going to grow, but also the more seeds you're planting and the more interactions you're having the better you get at understanding customer needs and also presenting your solutions. Because if you just deal with one or two big opportunities and you're waiting for a year, you're not going to get good and you're going to have anxiety because you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're working from a, a position of scarcity and you're like, God, I only have one meeting this week. What am I going to do? And I'm, I'd be terrified, you know? right. but when I'm doing three or four meetings a day, I'm just like, this is awesome. It's so fun. But I want yeah. to come back to that, back to the, um, the, the Miller Hyman, the, sure. you know, all the different specific buyer personas. 
I love that because I've seen it time and time again, you know, where we get brought in by the, um, the user influencer who actually they're looking for a better solution. Uh, they'll reach out and they're super, super excited. And during that discovery call, if you don't find out who these other people are, you're like, yeah, we got this deal. And, and then all of a sudden you get the legal or the technical uh, blocker, which I, I find to be the ones that they almost prefer to say no. They're not really interested in the platform. They're just interested in, does this, is this going to somehow uh, make my job difficult? Does it put us at risk at all, right? And if you don't address that, they have veto power, right? They, they, and, and it's, so you could just be going like, hey, man, the users love us. And you get this technical blocker or, you know, and, and, and so you've got to figure it out. Let me ask you, when you're doing, I guess you would call it a discovery call. Um, you tell me what you call it, but how do you uncover who these people are? And then how do you reach out to them? Because talking to the user influencer, you're going to use one set of language or, you know, and you're going to talk about the features and the benefits and things like that. But when you make that initial contact with the technical or the legal people or even the financial people, what, how do you frame the conversation? So it's about discovery, right? So remember I mentioned somebody like, uh, how, do you, how does one individual go to a company that never been in contact before and how do they find their way around that company, right? So, and pick a company, any company, Fortune 500, et cetera, US or Canada, it doesn't matter. You have to find a window to get in and that person or that individual that got you in, that could help you become, that they can, they can help you do a bit more discovery. But and that individual I mentioned to earlier in my earlier response as the fox, that individual is going to guide fox. you through the maze, right? So, mm -hmm. however, <clears throat> in a general discovery call, there's always room for questions and, um, you know, getting to know one another and as a, as a salesperson and as a customer, potential customer. And those questions are always can be asked. Like the typical question that nobody asks, I find, is, do you have budget for this? And, you know, it's, it's as silly as this, you know, it's, you need money. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, the transaction needs to close and somebody needs to pay for it. Do you have the money to pay for it? Right. And so once you say, well, who's, you know, do you have budget for this? And if the answer is yes, then say, well, who holds the budget for this? Like, is it your budget or somebody else's budget that approves it, assigns it, et cetera? And at the end of the day, like the more digging you do around that topic and the you know, people are afraid of asking the question because they're afraid of the answer sometimes and maybe the negative answer that, is that so turns true. people that off. That is so true. <laughs> Please go ahead. Maybe some people that get turned off by, you know, people saying, oh, uh, you know, uh, I asked the question. Maybe it's not my place to ask the question. No, it is your place. You're a salesperson. You have to that's get why, paid why, at the end. <laughs> some people don't ask a, a girl or a guy out for a date because they don't want, they're afraid they're going to get set, you know, shut down, but go ahead. That's right. <laughs> so, and then, you know, on a, you know, as you do these discoveries and you do what you call, what we call the account map. So you got to draw the map and you got to put names in boxes and that name in boxes, that would be your cheat sheet, if you will, as a salesperson. I'm going after a Fortune 500 company. I know who I'm going to be talking to. Now I've got boxes and these boxes on the diagram. It's literally a diagram. There's a form you fill it out and, and, you, and you put these names in it. And then you just start to figure out, okay, so who am I missing now? What box is still empty that I need to fill out? And you start asking the questions. Mm -hmm. If you're not inquisitive, if you're not asking the right questions to the right people, 
and you're not finding the information. And a lot of these information today could be researched, et cetera, but, but it's part of the conversation that you would have with individual. And that demonstrates two things. It's not us being vulnerable as sales individual when we ask the question. It demonstrates to the audience that you're interested, that you're interested Absolutely. in getting to know them. You, you know, back to the, um, the point that you made about sometimes people are afraid to ask the questions. Um, and I agree with you. Sometimes it's because they're afraid of um, getting the wrong answer or get, they're afraid of getting shut down somehow. Yeah. Um, I also feel that people sometimes they're not sure how to phrase the question. They, they, they feel it's awkward. And that's where I, I have something called a verbal toolbox, which is for every situation, you should have a go-to phrase, one or two phrases that you can just throw out there. If somebody asks you a question and you don't know, you say, that's a really good question. I haven't heard that before. Let me check with the team and get back to you. No big deal, right? You got to just, you got you to gotta roll with it, right? But um, I, I was on a sales call with one uh, gentleman who, who, who tended to be, he was a, a technical uh, support person and he had taken a sales training class and, and during the call. And now, so I'm leading the call, but so, somehow, and he's talking about the technical solution, but at the end of the call and he goes, oh yeah, I have one more question. Um, he goes, are, what did he say? He said, um, are, are you the decision maker? And I was like, you know, so I probably, I, I coached him after that. I said, I probably wouldn't say it that way because you, you, if you think about how you, you just spend an hour talking to that person and then you ask them, are they decision maker? It, it probably doesn't leave such a good feeling. Maybe you could say something like, can you let us know like who else will be involved in this decision? Right. That's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. So, so, but if you, but if you just kind of shoot from the hip and throw that out there, it can be awkward. Yeah. So I, I'm a big proponent of figuring out those key phrases in advance, putting them in your toolbox and pulling them out when needed. Um, so let's say you've got now, you figured out who the technical and the legal um, people are. How do you approach them? And what do you say? So this is where um, we um, need to figure out how much networking is being done and how important this account is to you. There's a lot of hard work needs to be done at this stage. Mm -hmm. So we need to identify these individuals and introduce ourselves to, right? So, and one of the things that could be done and, you know, we've, I've done it before is that I'm working with so-and-so like this is an either via conversation or via an introduction, uh, email or of any sort, or however you want to reach out to this individual, a conversation is much better. And, but why would they take a call from you or why would they accept a meeting from you? Not knowing who you are. That's the answer. And the answer for that is, look, I'm working with, your colleague in department ABC, they're considering our uh, solution. And uh, I understand uh, you are part of the decision-making process when it comes to specific area, be it legal, finance, et cetera, and, or technical. And uh, I wanna introduce myself and I wanna tell you a little bit of what we're doing and hopefully um, that helps in the decision-making. And I wanna go back a little bit to what you were saying earlier, internal people from the customer side Generally, on the technical side of things, generally they, you know, they don't want to do anything because they don't want to change. It's easier anything. to change say no bad. than yes, right? Change is bad. <laughs> change is you bad. Know? Yeah, it's a risk. It's a risk. Right. <laughs> so um, the idea is to gain again. You, we we always talk about in this industry about trust and a trust mm -hmm. on a variety of like it's like a prism almost, right? So it it comes from a variety of individuals who are going to be coming in touch with the customer. And I, and as you imagine yourself, like you're not one individual working with the customer, but you are part of a team working with an with a customer. There's many other people behind you or beside you 
are going to be the touch points working with this particular customer. Everybody needs to be on board uh, with that strategy to be able to continuously build a relationship with this customer to close it. Because if I come in as a salesperson and my tech person or my engineer or whoever else are going to be in touch with these customers, and we're not on the same board, we, you have to be unified as totally. to the goal as a customer as, as a, we approach these customers. Even the uh, the lawyer who are on our side, who's going to be working with their lawyer on their side, there's got to be some sort of an understanding that we're trying to win this customer. <laughs> we're not trying to upset them. And we got to come to a compromise somewhere. So because one of the items, you know, non-related, but I'll throw it in there is somebody, people ask me like, what is the, you know, how do you grow a company? I said, well, that's the owner or the entrepreneur asking the question. The answer to that is, before you answer the question, you may want to make sure go talk to your operation team. Do they want to grow the company? Do they want, are they excited about growing the company? If they're not, two things, either you excite them somehow or you change them. If yeah. your objective is to grow a company, because if we're not all on board, uh, the customer consents, the trust issue that you talked about, it, it's very fundamental. You cannot walk to somebody off the street and say, hey, trust me. I mean, I've, <laughs> we've seen bad movies about this one, but <laughs> you got to develop it over time. <laughs> Yeah. So what you're saying is you could have internal blockers who you, you can go win business or try, or you can attempt to win business and you need their support. And they'd be like, you know, I don't know, you know, so we, do we have the capacity? Uh, does this violate some of our standard TNC? Um, you know, how are we going to deal with this? And you need to get them on board as well. And That's so right. let's, let's, let's put that over into the parking lot. I'm going to come back to that in a second. I also want to come back to the whole thing about, um, you know, growing a book of business with, planting a lot of seeds, small and large opportunities. Um, come back to the, uh, to the, to the Miller Hyman uh, kind of conversation and, and, and trust how, okay. Is that part of the Miller Hyman uh, process in terms of, is there an established way to build so, trust and how do you, what, what, what methods do you find that are effective to accelerate the trust building process? Because trust takes time. Yeah, Building so, trust yeah, of course. So one of the key standard uh, practices when using the approach of uh, uh, Miller-Hyman, which uh, I don't know if people remember this or whoever took Miller-Hyman can attest to that. There's a blue and pink sheets. And uh, uh, those forms you have to fill out. And today people are like so busy and they're running a thousand meetings per week. I don't know. Uh, they probably skip that part, but at least you do it mentally or you do it via email or you scribble it somewhere. And the objective of that is to document where are we now and where are we going to be going after? What are we going to try to achieve after the call? So every call from the introduction forward, it is moving the yardstick one yard at a time forward. So meaning that. meaning that as I document, as I'm, I'm going to talk to Mark today, um, what do I, what do I like to achieve from, what do I hope to achieve from this call today? So I'm trying to hope, for instance, I'm working with you today and I'm hoping to achieve, uh, maybe a follow-up call, maybe a call with one of your colleagues of interest. Um, that would be the goal. Like, of course, the ultimate goal is to close the $2 million account, but Rome was not built in one day. You right. have to, you have to lay the foundation. You have to build it a brick at a time. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, and, and again, we come back to the trust thing. Um, it, it takes time. Um, I found that, for example, you know, with, with the different personas, there's 
there's similar but sometimes different ways to accelerate trust. So, for example, with the technical and legal, maybe they're looking at uh, things like, you know, do you have ISO certifications? Are you SOC 2 compliant? Or, or, you know, things like that. Something kind of where they can – or you could say, you know, we're working with these other customers. With, with the Fox, for example, maybe it's just about, about that user experience and your responsiveness to or right. anticipating what they, what they need. Um, with financial, again, they, they might have their own different kind of uh, perspective in terms of, hey, can I trust you or not? Like, you know, how long have you been yeah. in business? Yeah. How large is your business, et cetera? That's right. So every individual has got their own way. And today, um, I, you know, uh, I've, I've done a podcast uh, a few weeks ago on the topic of using AI in sales tools uh, to help you with that. So mm-hmm. one of them is discovering which persona are you dealing with. And and so one of the things I we demoed on the last podcast with uh, Bethany is the uh, application called Humantic. Before you get into the call with anybody, it gives you a bit of an analysis on the individual and tells you are they, you know, are they going to be hard to convince? Uh, it gives you a little bit of a persona description. You know, are they detail oriented? Are they going to be requiring a lot of proof when you talk to them about something? Show me the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, So once you've mapped out who you're walking into, you're not going to be walking into a conversation anymore and be shocked or be surprised to the reaction you're going to get because you're going to be prepared. If I'm going to be talking to an individual who is an introvert, I know they are going to be conversationalists like you and I are having right now and life is going to be great. If I'm going to be talking to an extra, sorry, sorry, an extrovert versus an introvert, if I'm going to be talking to an an extrovert, it's okay, but if I'm talking to an introvert, I have to figure out a way to pull the data out of them. I have to w- figure out a way to pull them into the conversation. If somebody who's hard to um, convince, like you know, somebody in uh, legal, they're going to be more of a documented individual. So sh- show me your T's and C's. Show me where you know the latest. You know, show me your SLA. What do you you know? What's your guarantees? What's your rec- all that stuff needs to be documented. It cannot be just verbal. And you better walk in with that with that kind of an information to a meeting. A lot of times meet, people go to a meeting nowadays and they're not prepared. And they're not prepared for the conversation. Uh, even, you know, if, if you go on, not necessarily on a complex meeting, if you go into a small meeting, somebody requiring something transactional or something small, but still you need to put your paperwork together. If you're not, if you're not walking in with some paperwork and the customer says, yeah, I like what I'm hearing. Um, then you take two weeks to send the paperwork. <laughs> no, no, just put it out. <laughs> it's not going to work. This is our s- simple agreement. Just you can just initial here, and uh, you know we'll send Make you everything else later. Make <laughs> exactly. Easy. Make it easy. Hey, so uh, just before that, you were talking about. And by the way, I mean I, I, I'm agreeing with everything you said uh, have said so far. And, um, and so if I, if I don't state that, please don't take it that I don't, because I, it's just like, I think we're totally on the same page here, but, um, you, you were talking about that, you know, you want to keep the momentum going forward and every single activity should get you closer to that sales. And, and that's something that I, I, I treat as gospel when I'm going out with a, a, you know, a sales colleague and I say, what's the purpose of this meeting? And they say, oh, well, we're just going to meet with them and get to know them. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) I want to know what we're going to get out of this meeting. Because if you go into a meeting and not knowing what you want, you're probably not going to get it. Right. right. So I want, I want us to progress to that next step. And then you can start to map out how we can do that. Um, But let's say, let's say when you go into a meeting, you got a face-to-face meeting, which I always say, get the meeting. I don't, I mean, because you're not, you know, you got to get the meeting. You get the meeting and 
what do you do to set up the the meeting? Um, you know, because I'm I'm going to leave it there because some people they're like they go in and they just kind of have a conversation. I'm I'm sure that you have a plan, but let's so, walk me through that. So uh, when I set up a meeting, generally um, depends on the individual. If it's a brand new individual that I'm dealing with and I haven't dealt with before, uh, you got to use a professional way of setting up those meetings. You know, structure mm -hmm. them. Uh, lay out what the agenda for the meeting, for instance, share it ahead of time. Uh, the talking point, if it's no agenda, like you don't have anything, you know, too detailed, maybe high level, uh, whatever the agenda items are, make sure you share them ahead of time. Uh, so they can be prepared and you be prepared and you be used. Those agenda items would be used as a, um, I want to say as a guideline for the conversation, because when you're in the middle of a conversation, sometimes things tend to slip because you get into a different deep into one topic, but you haven't covered all the other topic and the clock is running. And so <laughs> you got to keep an eye on the clock because that individual's time is precious. It's valuable. They allocated 45 minutes or 30 minutes for you. You're trying to address as many points as you can within the 30 minutes. And I want to get by the end of that conversation to some action items. I, I want to get like, what are, the what are the next items that I need to put in place here to follow up? Um, whatever the follow-ups are. Um, sending a contract, uh, scheduling a meeting, um, having another conversation with another person from the same account. But whatever it is, the action item, I want to develop some action items that we both agree on. Customer and vendor needs to agree on what the next action items are. And then people, you know, a lot, not a lot of people do it. And I think it's a common practice. It was common practice. I don't know if people still do that. I still do it. Is sending a summary of the meeting after you're done with the meeting. And, and whatever you've done, whatever you've agreed to do, like specifically on scheduling a meeting, don't wait a week to schedule a meeting. If you, if you agree to schedule a meeting, schedule a meeting within the next, like on your way out. Like I used to send follow-up meetings and I still do uh, from my phone. Uh, you know, after I captured everything, as soon as I hit the parking lot, you already have a, you already have a, your follow-up meeting uh, email. I love that. And so there's a couple things there. Um, if you make a commitment and you say, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll summarize this meeting. One, you've taken some pressure off of them, but you've made a commitment to them. And if you say, I'll send you a summary by the end of business tomorrow, but you send it to them early. So I always like to make a commitment. I'll get you that information by so-and-so, or I will check this for you. And I make the commitment and I make it time bound. And then I always get the commitment back early with more than they expected. Because that's, that's accelerating trust. When, because right. one of the trust building techniques is make a commitment and keep it. So I make the commitment. I, I, I try to leave um, every meeting with some commitment made so that's that right. I can demonstrate the trust. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think we did what's important is when you go into a meeting, I, I love the fact that you said, you know, send an agenda. Because if you don't send an agenda or an outline, or at least at the beginning of the meeting say, so, you know, here, here's what I was thinking we could talk about today. Is there anything that you'd want to add onto that? And at the end of the meeting, I'm hoping that we can, you know, conclude with this. So you've put it out there, right? If you don't do that, either in written form or at the right. point, you risk the customer taking and going off over here. And then the hour goes by very quickly and you've made no progress at all. Right. And you walk out of there going like, mm -hmm. damn. <laughs> so, um, hmm. Now you're in the meeting. Talk about the importance of asking questions. So um, we all expert on what we do, and we love to talk. We love to talk. We're salespeople, right? We love to talk about <laughs> We love to talk about products. We love to talk about services. We love to talk about what, what's good. 
uh, about us as individuals and as the companies that we represent. Uh, the biggest thing is in sales, which I've learned over the years, and it took many, many years to learn it because it's never perfect. You always, it's like, um, it's like training your muscles, right? So you got to keep training is mm -hmm. the listening part and open-ended question. I never, ever, I always like, this is in the back of my mind. It's been in the back of my mind, like for 30, 40 years, I will never ask a closed-ended question unless if I'm stuck somewhere, it yeah. always has to be an open-ended question as to why, what, and how, and never ask a yes or no question because you're going to get the no generally. <laughs> give, me, give me some examples of your favorite open-ended questions. So can you describe to me the current process of how you deliver translation and why? Awesome. Yep. And, um, and yeah, no, I, I, I love that. One of the things I ask is, um, you know, could you describe the perfect solution? You know, what would the ideal solution look like for you? If we work together six months from now, a year from now, and we meet to evaluate the relationship, what would need to happen for you to say this was a home run? You know, just get them yeah. talking. And the, because yeah. they're going to give you the key to the sale right there, right? right. You know, by the question right. that you asked in terms of <clears throat> understanding what their current processes are, because then you can understand how to optimize. But go ahead. But one of the things I was, you know, it's always missed in, uh, in, in the, entire not just necessarily in localization world but entire sales process as general as a sales profession is come across authentic you genuinely care about why you're asking the question you're not just asking the question because somebody told you your boss or mark or somebody told you hey you should be asking the question no you don't want to read it you don't want to read a scripted question <laughs> this is where people fault they, they fall all the time is because they are coming across to the audience as yeah, somebody put it in an email for them. You know, in the next meeting, you should be asking the question. If it doesn't come out naturally, please don't ask the question. Well, it has I, to be I'm, authentic. I'm sure you get sold too, because in your position as, as GM and, and VP at, at Linebridge, you have vendors that approach you, right? They're mm -hmm. selling technology solutions like that. And what I've found is I, I, I will take one or two of those calls a month because – Maybe I can use the tool, the platform, but also I like to learn about the tools and technology, tools and technology, and I like to watch how people sell. And what I've found is more often than not, they'll say, "Can we have a half hour of your time, um, and we can introduce the platform?" And I want—that's what I want—is I want them to introduce the platform. But they'll spend twenty minutes asking some too many qualification things, qualifications that that are that are scripted. Just just to your scripted. point, right? doesn't feel sin sincere at all. And I feel like, man, you're just wasting my time. You could have sent me those questions in advance because these are strictly qualification ones, right? We're in the meeting. I, I, I think once you have the meeting, the qualification should be done, right? Now it's getting to know each other in terms of like, what are you, here's, here's, here's how the solution works. But maybe you can, are you seeing something similar? Yeah, like, like I, I get you. Like a lot of people, they call me and they're trying to sell some solutions and they're trying to ask me questions. And it come across, Mark, as uh, you're asking the question not to get to know me. You're asking the question to serve an internal purpose, an internal process that you have. Yep. And here's here's an example. Filling in the box. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're trying to box you into something. They're yeah. trying to put you into a box, either the size of the customer you are by the number of employees you have or the dollar you spend, et cetera. And then they can put you into a different process because, as you know, most companies have various process to various size customers. If you're sure. a small customer, you're in the small customer hub. If you're a medium-sized customer, you may be getting like a, an account manager that gives you a call once a year. 
And if you are a big customer, you may get like an account manager, a business development manager, and they'll talk to you more often. I do believe like this is where things like fall apart for me personally, because as an individual, I want first to be appreciated as an individual. Mm -hmm. And if you're not talking to me as a, as an individual that you're interested in doing business with me, I don't know if I want to continue that conversation. If I'm continuing the conversation just because I'm being polite, but I will not take another call. Yeah. And if, especially if you, you, you got the call with me because I wanted to see a demo. And then instead of doing the demo, you spend all that time doing the qualification stuff is it, it can be annoying. But back to your point, if you ask sincere, if you come across sincere and you ask questions because you really want to understand about the customer, I think it's important. I think the, the other thing is depending on the questions you ask, you can come across as one, somebody that it, it, it enhances the trust. But the part of the reason it does that is because you're at, if you ask intelligent questions that help the customer understand what some of their own challenges would be. And sometimes you might ask something like, you know, have you thought about this or how do you handle that? And they're like, wow, that's a good question. We, 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 that's, can you, you know, they might even ask you, what are some of your other customers doing? And now you've built some trust because you have demonstrated your expertise. That's right. Absolutely. And the, um, I want to give one more tip here to people who's listening to this is that all, the all next two of you. <laughs> the next, the next evolution, more than two, the next evolution of how you ask the question is by baking the question into a conversation. People respond better to conversations. Mm -hmm. If you bake the information gathering into a conversation, then you don't come across as an interrogator. Mm -hmm. um, you come across as both two individuals are having a conversation, getting to know each other. First, you have to figure out. Does that individual, the target individual, do they agree to meet with you to get to know you, get to know your company? The getting to know part, once you've passed that bridge and we're open the, we're, in, we're inside the conversation of getting to know another, let's have that as a conversation versus, you know, somebody told me, you know, sales 101, ask one, two, three, four questions. This will dis destroy the, the, the conversation completely. I totally agree. And especially going back to your earlier point, if it's clo close ended questions, because then you feel like you're being interrogated by the police, you know, <laughs> it's like, so um, earlier before we, uh, before we hit the record button, I think you mentioned that, you know, you use Miller Hyman uh, inappropriate opportunities, but like, for example, when you deal with the government, you do something completely different. Can you talk a little bit about that? So when you are working in not necessarily just the government, but anywhere where there is a closed loop sales process, basically, you are not allowed to um, to do active selling. You still do relationship building, et cetera. You can still get to know the people, uh, but you cannot, you're not going to ex expect the government to come in and using the government as an example, but could be banks or whatever, uh, to come in and award a contract to you without going through a formal uh, um, uh, procurement process where, you know, the wild world area gets invited to it. Everybody in the world gets invited to it. Uh, specifically in certain scenarios with government, that's a, that's a given, although you, you know, you can go in network, build the relationships, get to know you, uh, kind of a conversation with them, but they're not coming directly to you. And they're saying, Hey, Mark, you know, uh, here's a contract, give us your product that has to go through a formal process. Now you do the work the way we're in, in every, every environment is the same. So if you work with multi-companies, uh, sorry, multinational companies or Fortune 500 companies, they have their own procurement process as well. But in some cases, 
you're able to work at a, at a, at a, at a division level or at a directorate level and close certain deals without going through, you know, the complicated process. There's still process to go to, but you'd be one-on-one -on -one process versus a, you know, this is a wild uh, uh, company-wide area that we need to uh, outsource in a, in, a, in a formal procurement process kind of thing. So, um, and in the latter, for instance, just to give an example, with the with many rules in place right now for U.S. and Canada, mm -hmm. in some cases, if you take somebody for lunch, for instance, they're not allowed to pay. Uh, you, they're not allowed to let you pay for their lunch, for instance, right? So. Um, they try to keep that whole influencing thing. They're not, they don't mind. They, you know, you want to go for lunch and get to know people, but they're trying to figure out. And I think they started with the Sorbane-Oxley. I'm not sure if that's where it started, but I think I'm not an expert on that area, but I think that's where it started. That influencing too much in a public domain, they're trying to remove that. So, No, that's a, that's a huge challenge because again part of the sales is relationship building and hey you know hey robin hey would you why don't we go grab lunch and we 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 spend a fair amount of time you know building rapport maybe talk a little bit about business because but it's nice to kind of get out of the office and then you have that that, that relationship doesn't mean you're going to get the sale but at least it's a start right yep and when you take that away it it, it makes things more challenging um I, you know so I'm, I'm wondering how do you deal with that so it's more of a um, just a public networking, and um, and this is where you know a salesperson is required a lot of times in our industry because we're not a big industry. We don't have in some companies our medium sized company they don't have one individual's focus on government and another individual's focus on other other things. But maybe one individual's focusing on multi sector. In a multi sector environment, we have to be able to. Uh, work with each sector based on its requirement. In the government sector, in the public sector, in a regulated sector, you have to use networking as your tool. And any chance you got like for networking, you have to take it. Be it a conference, uh, be it a um, an event where government is present or whoever your target audience are, not necessarily just government, it, are present. You have to be in there rubbing elbows with them, talking to them, uh, getting to know them, etc. So your name is not stranger to, to them anymore, right? And then when the formal procurement process is launched and they see your name, you're not some sort of a strange guy. They don't know anything about sure. you become familiar to them. And although, you know, you, you got to win on your merits and nobody is asking here, I don't think in a normal sales process, you're not asking people to buy something that is not validated or substandard or you're trying to do some sort of like, Oh, I'm, you know, government at the end of the day or customer in general at the end of the day, they need to pick the best and they have a process to pick that. Not necessarily the cheapest. Nobody's talking about the cheapest anymore. Although in some cases we still see, you know, uh, entities, uh, whoever they are, private or public sector, buying the cheapest. But they're more focused now on the human aspect of it. You know, I'm seeing a lot more dis discussions around, you know, who is your team? You know, are, where are they located? Are we going to be able to access to them? Uh, are we going to be able to talk to them? Are you just going to sell me and then give me an email number, or an email address, and um, and somebody will? Get, the after sale is becoming more important now in the discussion. The after yeah, the sale. I totally agree with you. Hey, you know, you talked about the the, the professional networking and the importance of that, and in in just becoming known to potential buyers. And I, I know that you do a a, a podcast, uh, the localization fireside chat, and and I'm and I'm wondering, is that part of the 
rationale for it? And, you know, and, and why do you do the podcast? Because I, I have reasons I why I do mine, but, but you know, why, why do you do your podcast? Which so, is, which I love, by the way. So. Yeah, I, I hope, I hope people like it. I don't know. I mean, I feel like we're Great. making some progress. I don't know, but uh, in 2024, we already have like several um, exciting ones lined up uh, for recording. I just published one this morning with Jeff Allen from uh, SAP. It's pretty interesting. I didn't know he sings. So now I found out that he sings. So it's pretty good. Lock awesome. and roll. I never heard of that song before. I got to hear lock and roll. <laughs> that's look for people that who don't know. That's the localization or lock industry. But that's, that's right. Lock and roll. <laughs> so um, from my, from my, uh, uh, from my perspective on um, why I do a podcast, it started with me as like, I've seen a podcast, I've, you know, I've various one of them and I've seen them the way they're structured. And, and I do feel like, I remember like, and that's always been for me, like how I started with the industry 20 years ago. Right. And I started going to the industry 20 years ago, uh, industry events like, uh, local world. I think it was the first time it was hosted. And I think that was the only time it was hosted here in Montreal and I attended it. And I came from the tech background, like from a telecom background and the technology side thing. And I thought, up till today, I still feel like this industry has a lot of potential, but there's got a lot of things missing in it. And that, you know, that conversation, that is open conversation, nobody in this industry, I don't know what it is. They're scared of each other or something. I have no idea. Nobody, <laughs> nobody in this industry can sit down and talk to their competitor. I think like, who are they? <laughs> like, why are you so worried about that? You know, you should be able, I go to other industry associations or industries in general, and, you know, people are collaborating. They're writing white papers together. They're doing things together to advance the industry forward. It seems that everybody in our industry have built a little cocoon for themselves and shelter themselves in it. And that's it. I'm happy with the world the way it is. There is a danger in that because if we don't open the conversation, if we don't get to know one another, if we don't expand the conversation, there may be worlds around you that you don't know about. They're either past you and now you're in the dust of the industry. I'm not talking to you, but you personally, but just everybody. Thank in the you. industry. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. So there is, this is why I started the, the conversation in the podcast. Now, is it helping me personally? Of course it is. Is it helping me professionally? Of course it does. Now there is a commitment for that. Like I didn't know how to do video editing. Now I do. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a, you know, reaching out to people, booking them. There's a logistics and I do that myself. Like nobody else is doing it. And, of course, people ask me the question and a million times comes up, you know, is Linebridge involved in that? No, they're not. Uh, I interviewed the CEO like I'm talking to you right now, like I interviewed everybody else when I interviewed John. Um, it's like uh, it's, a, it's a self starting. Uh, I started it as my individual initiative, my personal initiative. Yeah. And I think it's helping in expanding the conversation. We just passed 100,000 views on YouTube. And uh, collectively, I mean, we have like about 50 videos now on YouTube. Con congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thanks. I mean, for localization, like I tell people for localization, you know, for other industries, this is peanuts. But for localization, it's a good thing because. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, our industry events, I mean, you know, the biggest events are like Local World and Gala. And at Local World, you might have six, 700 people, which is nothing if you go compared to like, if you go to, I've, I've been to a Microsoft event in Las Vegas and there were 40,000 people there, right? And all different types of Microsoft partners um, and, and kind of supplemental technology providers there. And 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 it's it's interesting because the collaboration, I, I, I think sometimes people try to keep their cards close closely held in our industry. Um, 
I would say, for example, the ALC uh, is a little bit different because it's small, medium-sized, family-run uh, translation agencies, and they talk about a lot of common challenges that they companies of their size face, like succession planning, for example, or how do you how do you scale to the next level? Uh, that's kind of, uh, in, in my experience, unique though. Um, I love what you're doing on your podcast uh, yes. because you're you, you're doing something similar to um, MemoQ Talks, uh, maybe maybe a little bit more in depth, and, and we have different styles. But um, but you know you, you're talking to these people and they and they open up, uh, and y it's learning opportunities. I mean, I I learned I took a, a, a bunch of notes when you were talking to Benny Orr, for example. You know, and I was just like, wow, this is this is great stuff here. And I'd met Benny several times, but until you, he, you know, I listened to him on your podcast, I, I'd never kind of had those conversations with him. Next time I see him, I'm going to pull him aside and say, Hey, you know, you were talking about this. Let's talk more about it. Yeah. So you know, you're doing a, you're doing a great job. I do also want to talk about for people who don't realize it, it's a lot of work um, to, when you start with the podcast, there's, there's all this foundational work that you have to get in terms of where you're going to host it, the artwork, the descriptions, and you know, so on and so forth, getting it out on different platforms. One of the biggest challenges when you first start is getting guests because they're like, how many episodes have you done? One, two, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> is, this, is this even real? And uh, so, so for that, because this is the second episode, episode of the Grow Fast podcast brought to you by MemoQ RFP. Um, it's only the second episode. I greatly appreciate you coming on here because, um, you know, Anytime, it, like I said, it's, it's not easy. The other reason I appreciate coming on here is because every time I talk to you, I learn from you and I love learning. I love talking. You can ask my wife. I just never shut up. <laughs> I also, I also like learning. And, uh, Look, I took a page of notes here. Oh wow! Uh, in, in this in this fifty three minute conversation, so um, I, I think I should start referring to you as Professor Robin from now on. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> no, look, I appreciate the talks as well. I've known we've known each other for uh, many years, but we recently started talking more regularly. I mean, yeah, uh, we've known each other for almost twenty years now since the CLS days. Um, and I always uh, love talking to you, and not necessarily you know, to do you a favor or anything like this. I truly, genuinely love talking to you. Like, I really enjoy having a conversation with you. And if you're close to me, I, I bet you'd be one of those guys I'll be hanging out with having a beer if you drink beer or something. So. Definitely. And uh, yeah, the, the feeling and respect is totally mutual. Um, and hey, Robin, I really appreciate your, your time and uh, in coming on the Grow Fast podcast. Wish you a remainder of these amazing holidays and a great 2024 ahead. Absolutely. Happy New Year to everybody. And thank you, Mark, for uh, allowing me to be part of this conversation. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye now.